Ready to play for a nice Sunday morning? Hell yeah. All right. Greetings, fellow slingers. Slight change in the venue this week as Koosh is on vacation. So this particular episode, while it might constitute a Rolling for 20 episode, it's really just going to be filler from the Rage Room from us to you. Now I have sitting across from me my good brother, Junior. Woo! What's going on? Say hello, dog. Hello, dog. Yeah. Now, I think this will be more of a state of the show kind of episode, kind of a where are we going, what we have planned, how some of the other plans have come to fruition and such. Uh, first and foremost, we've started our Carrion Crown Adventure Path, our fifth edition conversion. Yeah, we've been playing, uh, what are we, like fifth, sixth episode now? This will be episode eight. And then eight? If, yeah. Wow. And then if you count the um, the two zero episodes, so. Hell yeah, and that's going really well. Yeah, what do you think about that AP? Because you guys, I let you guys choose which AP we wanted wanted to run. Well, without going into like real deep investigation of what it is, because obviously I didn't want to be a spoiler alert as we go through it, but it's been great. It's been fun. Uh, Oust, my character, found a new love. He's got a huge crush on uh, Kendra. Oh yeah, but he's kind of figuring out that she's a gold digger. You know, she's sweet. She's sweet, but, you know, she's she's after money and whatnot. She likes those bald-headed monks. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that uh, I think I had presented to everybody uh, an option up to five APs that they could, that we would convert to 5E from the Pathfinder Adventure Paths. And almost unanimously, everybody chose the Carrion Crown. It had that gothic horror element with werewolves and zombies and wraiths and hauntings and stuff like that and i just think that that's a, a totally different departure from the riders on the storm campaign which is more high adventure more swashbuckling yeah you know the whole uh, sea adventure stuff with the riders on the storm that that was a lot of fun especially <clears throat> when we were first escaping and doing the boat mechanics our rowboat mechanics, doing strength checks on that, that was a lot of fun because that was completely new to me. I mean, a lot of it is new to me to begin with because even though I've been playing for a little over a year now, I still consider myself pretty new. I mean, I've gotten a lot better with knowing which one's the 20-sided dice versus <laughs> the 12-sided 12, <laughs> the 12 dice. I'm going to roll the 12. <laughs> I'm going to roll that one. All right, I'm just going to add to it. That's funny because those uh, rowing mechanics... Uh, I did a lot of research, and I couldn't find anything that I liked for those mechanics. I just kind of culminated some of the stuff that I had seen in, in other editions, and that's it seemed the most simplistic and most... Uh, fluid? Yeah, I guess fluid would be a good word for that, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it seemed the most fluid as far as uh, the mechanics were concerned and, and enough for everybody to understand, as well as the drowning rules at the time. For oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Luckily, I don't think anyone hit the water other than... Uh, Everybody was in that water. When we... Oh, that's right. <laughs> when we bailed. I was thinking of still when we were in the rowboat. I was... Um, my, my thought went to the rowboat. Um, it was when we actually had to escape a bigger ship at some point that we actually had to swim and abandon ship. And make it to the island. And make it to yeah. the island. That was around that jagged reef that surrounded the island and everything but as uh any of the listeners would know as with the new carrion crown we've added another player to the show as well nick nick yeah yeah he's a player back from when eric used to run his own game at home uh he was highly recommended by eric when we were looking for another player to round out the numbers at our table and i think he's a great addition dude he is actually really impressive um we're we're trying to trying to open up and crack his you know shy shell there, but he's starting to open up a little bit around the table with us in the I, campaigns. And I don't even think that he's shy. I think he's just he's reserved. He almost like he waits for an in. You know, like uh, oh, he like can't he, wait for an in with us. No, I mean, with us, we're one, with, we're just <laughs> we swat kick doors down. Like you open up now. <laughs> no, he he's definitely on the on the reserve, quiet end. But he's he's finally opening up a little more and it's great because as a player and as a person he, he's phenomenal he's awesome he like his way to just come up with names on the fly for certain things is just beyond my belief and i don't know if he has more experience or has been more exposed to it than i have but even sometimes when he comes up with certain names i'm just like 
damn, did you just come up with that? Yeah, so like, I make him come up with that shit on the fly. Like, yeah, exactly. I would have been like, I don't know. What's your name? I'm Vegas. I don't know. <laughs> introduced this new character like right across the street from the Lorimer residence. And oh, yeah, my name is. Spoiler Irwin. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, definitely. Nick, he, he's an impressive player. Great person. Uh, like I said, if he's had a lot more exposure around 5e or just any tabletop kind of game he does come up with some good stuff on the fly he does and i like the the build of his character and i think it's everybody eventually forgets an ability or whatnot with their character and it's just kind of funny to see sitting behind the screen when somebody forgets to do something and you're just like yeah you <laughs> oh f- i know where you, you messed up that. <laughs> But I it, know what could have gotten different. Yeah, and then then you see later on is this this light go off behind their eye and it's, yeah. But the thing is, is everyone's going to run their player like they want to run their player, and that's what I like. I like how everybody seems to be an individual in their own sense, where they're not. No two characters are played the same. No two characters act the same. You do see two characters that tend to jive very well, in the Carrion Crown, you see Talos and Oust seem to have that camaraderie with one another. They got that brotherhood going, the elfness They're both in between. Elves, uh, they both came from Tale. Tale. And, uh, Which I had, think you were just looking at, like, writing this down. You're like, oh, I need to come up with a name for this town. And you had, like, some kind of, like, moist towelette thing sitting in front of you. <laughs> All right, we're going to call it Tale. I don't think it was quite that. It's funny because I think there's another name on the, on the Pathfinder map that's something else, Lay, and I didn't see it. And it's in the same area. I'm like, that just kind of lends like, credence it. to it. We're, yeah, we're, we're, running, we're with running with this. It's got some addition to this to this area, and I like that. Also, we are preparing to close the book on the Riders on the Storm campaign. Ah, uh, so sad. Yeah. We've been having such a great time. I've been enjoying playing Rafu. When, and I know the difference between Rafu and Alice has been completely 360. They it's are. Just, they're, they're completely different. Intellectual beings. One is way smart, and even though they're they're whoa, both. Whoa, 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 well, why, you, why you gotta bring Rafu like that? <laughs> <laughs> even though they're both from the uh, the nature aspect. One's a druid. One's a barbarian. I mean, what is your approach on when you when you play these two different characters? I've been playing them more of a little bit of their stats and their background. I mean, when I try to bring my character in, I kind of think of how they are. And how they would be in a person as as a person themselves. Rafu is more of the strong, silent type. He'll kind of lay back and listen to everyone, and and just kill that. And just kill whoever he just decides. (laughs) He's just full of rage. He's a killing machine. But at the same time, I mean, he's not that intelligent. (laughs) He he doesn't think things through all the way or think of the repercussions of what's going to happen. He's just. Nah, I didn't like what you said. Off with your head. He's like all strength and con, whereas uh, Oust is probably... A lot of wisdom, wisdom and intelligence yeah. and, you know. And Oust is, he's more, he more pushes the envelope on asking questions. And he wants to kind of see, but he's hes not very confrontational. Like, he, he, does, he would avoid a fight for as much as he can, but he, he does like pushing the envelope. He just wants to know why. And that speaks volumes to how you come to envelop the hobby too because before where you might be more reserved or more play a a more of a brute you ask more pertinent questions you do more perception checks you engage more directly with the the storyline and the npcs and the other players at the table too definitely i've i've noticed a lot playing i've been having a lot of fun playing oust recently just because he is a complete different character. He has been more involved. He has his his stats are different. So I've been able to play him the way I would like to play in general, just asking more questions, being more involved with the players themselves, and kind of creating a better bond and ship or bond with the other players, just because of what my character, how I see my character be. I mean, he loves just kind of getting information he loves absorbing this these facts and that's just how he has been especially being like a hermit kind of going around all over the place trying to you know find new new sources of information new artifacts new 
finding his inner self in a way as well. Well, even when uh, you and Talos had made that discovery of that particular item, you had a discussion with him about what should be done with this item. It belongs in a museum. Without giving anything away in case we have some listeners that haven't caught up in the Carrion Crown, but it's really good to see that exchange and where it will go further down the line as well. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I think depending on what Talos's idea is, I know Alice has a strong feeling of what this artifact should be at and what it should do. Well, as we do approach the close of the Riders on the Storm campaign, the hardest part, of course, is being our scheduling conflicts. We had Jess going in and out of school, so that just basically leaves us to play the Carrion Crown on Wednesdays. We basically devoted Wednesday to that. So we're still trying to locate other days, preferably on the weekends when we could get back in and do the Riders on the Storm campaign. Unfortunately, you and I, we both work weekends together, so... If I'm gone, you're gone. If you're gone, I'm gone. Yeah, and um, especially being like a scheduling conflict, I mean, it all just depends. I mean, I know like a lot of the weekends people want to spend it with their family and especially Jess and Eric, you know, they're recently having a baby pretty soon. So that's that's another thing we've been kind of... Well, that's what we were going to... That's where I was going to segue into next is that, that she is on a timer, a maternal timer, and not just that we need to wrap up the writers on the storm, but... She's due in November. So we have... Congratulations, you yeah, guys. Thanks a lot for fucking it up. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we only have a certain amount of time. Now, I think that personally that the campaign can be taken care of to the end of this chapter, the end of this book, within a few sessions. Possibly leave it open for something further down the line. I mean, I, I think that's always good. I mean, every campaign that we've played through and we have discussed, um, I've noticed that everyone's actually kept all their old player uh, character sheets. So it's kind of cool to like bring characters back even to random things. I mean, I just recently started DMing and that turned my eyes into... Oh, we're going to get to that. Oh, okay. That's on the that's that, on that agenda turned into this my morning. eyes of like bringing in different opportunities. And I was like, wow, this is just, you can do so much. And if people have their old character sheets, especially like with the table that's been playing for so long together, that it's kind of cool that, you know, everyone still has their sheets. So if you want to do a throwback, boom. Yeah, exactly. You know, all you all we have to do is just send a message out to everyone and bring your old sheets. Let's we're going to run an experiment. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to just jump balls deep into it. So you've recently set behind the DM screen. Oh yeah, that that was Tell a me about nerve- your experience back there. <laughs> oh man, that was a nerve-wracking experience, I'll tell you what. Uh I I prepped for like a week and a half and I It, it didn't show. I know, because as soon as I sat behind <laughs> what happened? The, I I locked up. I got scared. <laughs> no, it it is kind of intimidating. It's it's di- it's different. It's, it's one thing to have a drunk player, but when you got a fully inebriated DM <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you actually have to come up with things and tell the storyline. It, it, it's a little more challenging. Uh, my first round, because we started playing uh, Sunless Citadel, and that I prepped for that for like a week and a half. I, I studied it. I read the book or, you know, the, the pages of it, which was pretty long for me, I thought, because it's my first campaign to ever run. It was nerve-wracking. It, it was hard. I... I didn't know what the flow was, so I, I overprepped. I got, I read further and and pretty much kind of memorized certain things. Um, God, I gotta tell you that the things that are are that are in an AP are just outstanding. Like to the detail of where it goes. I mean, I know I didn't portray that as well as they do in the books, but they have so many things in so many rooms and so many things happening back you know, one after the other that it's just when it actually goes into live play, it would take so long to get through. And I did not understand that. And that's what I was trying to follow was by the book. And that's where I messed up. And I don't think they expect it to be completed in in two or three sessions, certainly not hour long sessions or even two hour long sessions. I think on a typical home game, it usually lasts between four to six hours. Oh, yeah. That's not recording. That's just people sitting down and doing it. But, uh, I mean, they're, 
even following any type of an AP to the letter, when you have four or five characters that all have free agency of what they want to do, it just it's very difficult to keep everyone corralled and going downrange when you've got the rogue that wants to do this, you've got the, the paladin that believes they should do that, and they've got somebody else that's ambiguous as to they could care less, you know? And that's definitely, like, throwing the wrench in the motor. It's like it, you never know what's going to happen because everyone has their own personality character-wise, and it just, well, and player-wise, but besides that, it's just you get railroaded to, like, a different area. You're like, oh, wait, I was totally not expecting that. Like, even throwing certain artifacts or certain things you guys found, it was like, oh, shit, like, now what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I wasn't expecting you guys to ask more questions about that, you know? It's like, all right, well, now I got to, you know, come up with something. And it's cool sitting... Uh, on the other side of the screen than the being the DM because I get to interact with Eric again and Jess again and uh, obviously with Kush not being here that's that's the whole thing that spurred the Sunless Citadel until he comes back it, it's nice to be on the other side of the screen once again and, and interact and be that that the, that devious guy you know Ellis the Stata Kata who's thinks he's a wants everyone to think he's a paladin when there's definitely more to him beneath that than what he says he is. Well, there's definitely a different experience between being a player and a DM because it was fun DMing. And luckily, after my second try, I took everyone's advice and it was just like, all right, just got to improvise, improvise. So second time around on our second episode, I ended up just reading the information I wanted to getting the facts out of it and i was like wherever you guys go i'm going to force you guys to go to a certain area and then i'm just going to drop wherever wherever it is you guys are going to end up in a certain place and i'm you're just going to find things and that ended up making things go a lot more smoother and i mean there was things where i would throw items and whatnot and i was like oh you know i really didn't think that one through okay, well, now this is going to turn into that. And then you guys ended up going where I wanted you anyway. So it ended up working out really well. But the first time around was just nerve-wracking for me. And especially you guys all being more experienced and having a new person kind of DM that's never done it before. It's like, ah, it's a little intimidating, you know? Well, I don't know if if Nick has ever DM'd. And I think Eric's only DM'd uh, published adventures as well. I think he said he did Curse of Strahd. Oh, yeah, home, he's so. talked about that one. I think they're still running that one. Oh, is he? I didn't, I th- I didn't I'm, think I'm he was I'm not sure DMing. if that's the one he... I thought he was still doing a few games, because uh, I believe... Uh, I know Kush is DMing. Kush uh, always DMs. Um, I think Eric said he was still DMing, and I think uh, Nick's at his table as a player as well. Okay. And uh, I think they run their, their shows on the weekends and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean... Hats off to all the people that do DM. Like, it, it, it is definitely a lot harder than one would think. Well, I've been in conversations with Kush, and we're definitely going to get him to to start up a second thread on the show as well. Ooh, that should be exciting. Yeah, so uh, he's already got an idea of what he wants to put together. I don't want to spoil that in case he changes his mind and or if he wants to do something else or if he's heard uh, that a lot of other people are doing it, so he doesn't want to convolute the market with, with more of the same. So... But that should definitely be one of our shows that we'll put out at a later time for the the Patreon. So, oh yeah, and please subscribe. Yeah, speaking of the Patreon, oh yeah, go visit our page, patreoncom slash hard 20 podcast There it is. First tier's one buck. Yep, practically giving that away. <laughs> what a shill! Oh man, that's that's less than two pennies a day. But we are out there though. We have a. Pretty uh, significant media print now. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Ooh, we're on iHeartRadio? We are. I know that. Yeah. Damn. Love love it. All these medias. Love it. And we do have a uh, special toast going out next Wednesday, so I'm not going to spoil that uh, for somebody special. That's special you in our lives. Ooh. (laughs) You know what was one of the interesting things about DMing, though, too, with you guys? That I learned that you have to adjust certain monsters. 
and certain creatures that you guys run into. Definitely because, their descriptions. Oh yeah, trust me. I'll <laughs> long definitely <and> veiny. <laughs> yeah, long veiny. No, um, definitely like adjusting on the fly was something that I I was starting to more understand, and I I, didn't, I don't know how you guys do it with more creatures than what I was running with because I was trying to keep it easy and lowering my attack bonuses and all that, and even just lowering my um, my HP on certain creatures was had to be done because I think I made two of you guys fall at some point. Yeah, you, you took me out like right out of the gate. Yeah, I think, I, I think I we d- had been recording I like took six LS, minutes yeah. and you took me out. <laughs> yeah, and that was like five and a half minutes of everyone saying hello and introducing themselves. Yeah, it's like, like it's all right, now Ellis is dead. <laughs> but definitely reading... Being on the other side and reading uh, character stats and what their abilities are, it was kind of nice to... That's what I liked about being a DM was playing different animals, playing different creatures. Well, that some- was kind of cool. Like doing different attacks that you normally don't get to do as your character. There's some things you can change on the fly as a DM, AC being one of them, but you could only change that once before the monster ever gets hit. Because as soon as he gets hit and you're like, well, this guy's AC is too high. I should bring it down from 19 to 16. And you say, okay, you hit. Now you need to make sure everybody that rolls a 16 or higher hits. Oh, yeah. You, you, can't, not, you, you, can't, you can't make you can't, it any just different. Like, just like the out, damage output's got to remain consistent. So you, when I'm doing it, I usually just think, okay, what level are these guys at? Have they had a rest? What are they coming out of recently? Where are they going towards? I mean, is this... Do I need to have more bad guys? I usually choose less because I have a tendency to overcomplicate my my encounters. I, I, Let's say I hear it all the time. <laughs> my NPCs don't don't make it. Oh, you're all first levels get a Hydra. You know what? Like even with NPCs, I, I thought about throwing NPCs, but at the time I was like so nervous and excited at the same time, but just intimidated in a way because you know I feel like there's more experienced people at the table and. You guys know when I'm like switching things around, it's like, oh, they know I'm doing this. Like, they got to know. But what's your feeling on like, let's say we ran a mini boss and we got our butts just handed to us. Do you add certain things like findings, like treasures to maybe help us because you kind of whipped us into a fine powder? I have done that in the past. Um, I'm assuming that by now most people are probably up to speed on the Riders on the Storm campaign. But when you guys were in the warehouse after you had that big-ass battle, and uh, I think it was Ferrothoslav had gone through some of the boxes, some of the crates that were stacked, and he found those guards' uniform. That was something that was a, that was put in at the moment. It wasn't there before. When you guys leveled up in the next session, when you were in the commander's office... That wasn't going to happen there. That was going to happen later on. But you guys had taken such a beating that in order for you guys to make it further into the jail that was up the up the corridor, you guys never would have made it. Oh, probably yeah. not. And there, was, there were other things that I was rolling for behind. I don't want to say behind the screen because I don't use a screen. But there were other things that I was rolling for to determine if, if you were detected while all this stuff was going on. And I gave some hint that there were other entities in the prison, or the garrison, I should say, because you could hear them talking in a mess hall. So when I rolled to see if they had heard any of this commotion that was going on further up the up the corridor, because the whole structure is stone, stone and steel, so it would be Muffled very yeah, it'd be more it'd be likely that they would hear it, especially if they're just as loud as you are engaged in their drinks and their food and their entertainment of whatever they're doing. So, But whenever I see you guys start to run into trouble, I do tend to find a way to, to dispense some type of healing potions and stuff, whether they're off the corpses of shadow mages that you found or or even through the help of an NPC at some point. Yeah. How important do you think it is to find uh, coins and stuff like that for anyone that's doing new DMing or anything like that? Like money about a gold to blue? Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, oh, like currency, like like huh. gold pieces like I know that all can go but just depending on what campaign like in the one I was running it didn't I liked you guys to find certain coin because everyone likes finding money but at the same time it's like mm, by the time we're done with this I mean unless you go back out 
Yeah. Which is going to take a, like a full day's journey at this point, and everyone's going to know that you were in there. I don't really. You're really not going to expend that that money unless you're going yeah. in like a long AP. I don't really use any any currency per se, other than usually to get the story going. Usually, whoever hires the heroes initially, they're the ones that are putting out a bounty, or they're the ones that are providing a reward for accomplishing a certain task. So that's usually the enticement. Like with the Seekers Foundation, Claybull had offered Vratislav, who was representing the rest of the group, I think it was uh, 200 gold pieces or something. Or, uh, no, it was 100 gold pieces. And then he came back out and said, everybody has 20 gold pieces to split. Yeah. You know, he kept the other 80. Spicer. Totally. And, uh, but that's, that's usually always the hook in. But outside of that, unless you plan on putting together something where somebody could could spend this money or what are they going to spend it on if most of the things the treasures or the or the things that'll accentuate and help them in their adventure can be found out out in the field or on somebody there's no real reason to put together uh, a general store i mean there's you can have them but then you got to run it yeah, and I know that the Carrying Crown has a general store, and we've already kind of discussed that. We've already ran some in the forge, so there's other things that can be purchased and stuff. But when you're starting off at level one and you only have so much coinage, what is it you really want to buy that you think that you would need, and what would you know what you needed it for? Oh, I'm gonna buy like plus six weapons of some kind if I could afford it, because <laughs> man, being oust. Being a spellcaster, it's been a different experience for me, and trust me, I I've gone down multiple times just because I'm used to being a melee fighter in the other campaigns, and being a spellcaster has just totally changed the way I have to interact with everyone in combat. Well, see, even that bringing up oust and being a spellcaster, and then relating it to the, having the money, having the gold and the silver and stuff. We really haven't introduced a whole lot of gold or silver into the uh, Carrion Crown, but yet you guys have recently found something. I'm not going to say where. Alist and Talos and somebody else have found uh, some items that will really benefit you guys. Yeah, and if you're not up to speed, better go back. And, yeah, you and better get up to speed. <laughs> get up to speed, because you're missing out. Yeah, it's really hard not to say anything, but any of that stuff that you guys had found would cost a lot of money. But yet you found it so that and that, that just goes to show you how well Paizo uh, has really put together these adventure paths where they have the ability to, to foresee when these low-level characters are going to need help, when they're going to get into trouble, how to stave that off, how, as they progress further, they could use some of the things that they've found to basically keep them vertical. Cause, yeah, cause, a lot of people are adventuring when they're on their back. So. Oh, no. And it's, especially being a low-level character, I mean, you're very squishy. I mean, you're running, what, at the max, maybe 10, 12 HP at, at the most. And if you got creatures that are dealing D8, D, I mean, D6 plus whatever damage, I mean, one hit that rolls really well can take out a character to the no point kidding. of... No Yeah. I learned that very easily. <laughs> and that's what I liked. I mean, I took you guys' advice. I rolled in front of everyone, mainly just because I didn't want to fuck up and I want I didn't want to mess up and I wanted you guys all to see everything that I was rolling. That way you guys could catch me because in the past, like I said, as a new player, it took me a while to get used to these dice. I would get excited. I'm like, all right, it's my time to roll, you know. <laughs> oh, that's the wrong dice. That's not the one I meant, you know. And Rolling in front of you guys, it's like, all right, well, here it is. Like, you guys can see it. I'm not fudging the numbers. I'm just rolling what it is. And sometimes I I was rolling pretty damn well. Yeah. I mean, and that's what it is. That's, you guys can all see. There's, I'm not making the number up. It's just, it's right in front of everyone. And I love rolling out in the open. The only problem is, is that some of the people don't because it, the, I mean, if I have to, to, choose between three people i don't want to just say and it's you and it's you again you know i i tend to roll a die to see one two is for you three four is for you five six is for you so when i roll it depending on what comes out that shoot it could be you all three times and you could get hit all three times but it's just the roll of the dice yeah and that and that gives it a better sense i mean that way when we are in battle and we are losing 
in a sense, and someone actually goes down, it kind of cools the temperature a little bit just because it's like, well, it's not like I'm deliberately picking on you. It's I don't think anybody at the table has that attitude where they, they get butt hurt to the point where they think, oh, he's picking on me, or now I'm not going to have fun for the next 40 minutes. Because I'll tell you what, even if Ellis had stayed down, I would have had fun watching the game run out. I, yeah. I wouldn't have cared. I would have enjoyed it and just sat back, drank beer, and, and but, did my thing, or put another character together as quick as I could and found a way to get back in there, into the game. So That's another good thing to bring up. Like, um, bring characters in. Do you just... Do you wait some time or like if a character falls within a game, like for other DMs that are out there? I mean, how how do you go about it? Like, do you just is there like a certain spot that you already have in mind that you could be like, oh, I could plug in like a character here? Or? There are at, at times, but I uh, sometimes I'll create an opening in the narrative where there normally wouldn't be one. I mean, nighttime's always a good time. Uh, Whenever you're transitioning from one place to another is another good time. In the middle of a conversation at a bar where somebody walks up. I really wish every I hope everybody else is up to speed on the on the carrying crown because I really want to say how I dropped somebody else in there, but I just had somebody watching the group. And then I made everybody make everybody make perception checks to see if they could see them. And when they did see him, they went out and confronted that person who was the new PC. So it was like on the spot for the development of the of the character as well as the player who played him because they weren't waiting till next session they were playing right then and there and that's that's just the strength of other character of other players around the table that they could pick somebody up real quick it's like if you were to take everybody's character off the off the table and suddenly as a dm hand out other characters to everybody else aside from the mechanics and what the character could do could that other person play that character, the new character? And they should be able to. Everyone at the they table, should. you just get an idea of the name. Oh, they're a uh, they're a, a tiefling magic user. Okay, that's cool. I know exactly where I'm going with this, you know. And then just building their background as you go in general. Just... Yeah, you just you do something, and the the roll of the dice present a failure, and then suddenly that becomes part of their character, and you're. You can play it off that this person strives really hard, but always comes up short. So when they do succeed, it's like, I knew I had this dormant in my body. You know, I knew I could bring this to the table. And Or if they're always succeeding, they could be arrogant or they could be humble and say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was because I was alongside you, fellow travelers. You know, you could just start feeding into that and, and making it however you want. And that's, that's how I think everybody at the table feels. Everyone can do that. And most players can do that too. Some people are though. They get like, I've been around tables and players where when they lose somebody, you'd think that they lost next of kin. I mean, oh yeah, it's, it's I mean, really hard. There on is they an get, emotional attached to a character that you're playing or to the table themselves. I mean, everyone plays their own character how they portray them, and I mean, it brings something to the table to begin with, or the adventure itself. I mean, it it's a companionship of some kind where everyone gets comfortable with it and you you can kind of laugh and throw jokes between characters themselves and when you miss it like when that character's gone it, it it lacks that certain thing but i mean it gives another opportunity for another player or another character to come in and change the whole outcome of the party it, you know you could have someone that bumps heads with certain characters yeah. and that kind of builds an animosity between them and even them riffing back and forth, you know, bumping heads, that gives the whole storyline. Well, we've a seen different... that with Eldon and um, Ruby. They bumped heads. They bumped heads for a long time. Yeah. And they always contradict each other. And they're always like, well, you're wrong. I'm right. So, yeah. With the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. But I think people have a tendency to the higher the level of the character gets, the harder it is to let them go because they've invested so much time in it. I think it'd be kind of cool at some point to have a a couple of sheets, like character sheets that are already pre-filled. On standby. With, with pre-gens. And when somebody drops, the DM just says, pick one. And they can't see what it is, and that's their new character. And just, oh, that's an interesting yeah, way just, to do it. Yeah, because yeah, that, that give gives them you the opportunity. Just let them play it off. And, oh, that throws you off guard, too. I mean, you got to learn how to play something something different, and then you got to put your mind into it and, and spill yourself into that character. And it's like, all right, I see this person running this way, or, and, you know, he might not agree with this because who knows what's on that sheet. 
yeah, I've always recommended that people have more than one character and that they should level that character up at least two levels. So when we do have like a lull in the episode, we say, you know, you suddenly become invigorated and you reach level two. You know, you could just take the stuff that may have been on your sheet that you have found and just transfer it over real quick, but already have that level two waiting for you. I think when, when you leveled this up, I already had a second. Oh, yeah. You were the only one that was prepped for it because when you guys, uh, when I saw you guys struggling and everything, I, I just figured, all right, this would probably be best if at this point, after beating a certain mini boss, you guys would probably gain enough experience points from everything else, from your travels, the traps, everything, that it would just be fair and it would open up certain abilities that most of you might have at level two. Which makes it more exciting for you to play your character because level one, I mean, eh, you're really spongy. Like I said, you know, you can't take that much damage. They're, you're limited on spell slots. You're limited on your abilities to do a lot of things. So level two, level three, those are kind of like the fun little areas where you're a little more built and you're able to do a little bit more. I find the the level ones tend to have a lot more intrigue as far as they get their experience off of interactions with other NPCs or coming to conclusions or figuring things out. And then you get the real low-level encounter. And then that usually brings them up. I personally have never been a big fan of starting off any uh, adventure path at level one because they are so crunchy. Uh, But that being said, a lot of things, if you want longevity out of your whatever you're running and you want people to really be invested in, in these guys from the ground up. I think that to start them at level one really is the way to go. I know dungeon crawl classics starts at level zero and they run you through a character funnel. You oh, what do you like, got negative HP? No, no, you've got, <laughs> you, you got start two off, HP. You start off with like, like five or 10 PCs and you know, they're all randomly rolled and you, chuck them through this funnel basically and and whoever comes out the other side alive is that's the one you know so you gotta like root for your own character to make it through it's like oh i really like but you're running more than one you're like running all of them simultaneously but which one do you pick that you want to survive i don't get get a choice i mean but you gotta like you gotta have a favorite of some kind i mean i'd be like i really like this one i hope he makes it because the other (laughs) ones are there (laughs) they're pillars you got this guy not that one damn it it's like, uh, all right, I'm making five sorcerers, <laughs> all the same build. But so you they're all going to make a, it. You don't get a choice in the class. You don't get a choice in the race. You don't get a choice in their first uh, item that they get because they get one item. You roll all six stats, 3d6, straight down the line. Strength, dex. Oh, you're just gambling at this point. It's all it is. It's, uh, well, not really. Well, I guess anytime you roll a die, it is gambling. But they want you to run it just like how the old school was as far as rolling up your stats were. Was that like a first edition or? Yeah, you just took 3d6 and you rolled it. And then if it came up 6, 5, and a 4, you know, you got 15. It was in strength. But that's really hardcore is if you, it's one of the ways is you could just roll the 3d6 and put them in from top to bottom. And then it it also went to you could roll 4d6 and drop the lowest. Oh, okay. And then. Mix and then just those. mix yeah, and match and they, those dice. Then they went to the standard array and then the point buy as well. So I don't think we've ever done point buy. I think we've done yeah. just. I'm not a big fan of point buy. I would I would always prefer the array because the array's been fun. I actually wouldn't mind for a different one is doing just roll open table. I mean, but I the only thing with the open table with rolling for your dice is. All right, I want to witness, like, see, because if I roll a character and I end up rolling really hot, you know, and that is the problem I want it with to be... rolling. Because if you get something you don't like, in fact, we're gonna throw a couple dice out here for Junior because we got some dice. All right, you want three d six or four d six? I'll take three d six. Okay, this Let's is what see. you'd get. Oh, and oh, you got an eight. Yeah. Okay, so geez. you got an eight. So I'll roll another three d six for your next one down the line here. Thirteen. Oh, that one's better. Thirteen. Let's see. Ten. Eight. Uh, Another okay, eight. I'm doing okay-ish. <laughs> okay. For what, a newborn? <laughs> That's right. Oh, there's a 14. That's a That's good, good one. Okay. That was really good. 
Oh yeah, my character would have yeah, sucked. You, yeah, you I would have been, been dead at, at birth. <laughs> and then uh, years ago, I was kind of playing around with different mechanics as far as like if we wanted to roll. And I came up with a with a pretty good idea: is if you start off with an eight in your in every ability score, and you roll a d10 on top of it. Okay. Yep. So that's a thirteen. So the the lowest you'll ever get is a nine. The highest you'll ever get is an eighteen. That's there's a fifteen, pretty, so it's seven on the die. Oh, there's, there's a zero, ten, yeah. so there's oh, ten. there's an eighteen. So um, it, it kind of makes people more wisdom. more stout in regards to feeling like a hero. But that's neither here nor there because we don't run that with what we're doing. But it's good just scenario, something out though. there for everybody if they like it. Eight with the D ten. How about it passing information? Because I know when I first started doing the Sunless Citadel. Um, I did a poor job on relaying certain information. And now going into the second episode with everyone, uh, I realized I was like, all right, I got to give you guys a little better background. So I've been dropping certain characters in and I'm going to relay it that way. What's another good way that for anyone that's DMing to kind of relay certain information? Like what kind of information? Uh, just about like the area. Example. You can do like of the area or what you're like looking lore for. Was. Lore, yeah. Lore would be a good one. Um, how about inside information of the dungeon or the area that you're in? I mean, because... Well, the first thing you'd want to Unless do you don't have a map, I mean... Determine if there's anybody that's directly from the area. If there's anybody, any of the PCs are from that area like the town that they all derived from or were they all just coming in from a caravan visitors or something if they're all visitors the odds of them knowing anything about that sunless citadel would probably be very low so they would even take a, a penalty to any type of a of an insight check or a history check but if they found somebody in town that may know some of that information some of that information then they could take a, a diplomacy check or make a charisma check or something to see if they could coerce this person to give them some kind of information. And then based on that, that's how you can dispense that information is somebody gleaning it to them or say that they hear somebody in passing, walking down the road, say they hear two people talking about the eavesdroppers. Yeah. So rude. Hear these, <laughs> they hear these two people, uh, basically gossiping about those two royal siblings that disappeared towards the old Sunless Citadel. Oh, do you know anything about the Sunless Citadel? Oh, yeah. I remember, you know, the story goes hundreds of years ago, this thing was once the most beautiful, majestic edifice on the on the cliff until it sunk down for mysterious reasons down into this giant ravine, you know. and like. Uh, so you read the AP. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I haven't. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, because I know where it's at because we've, yeah. we've gone Because we've gone through it, yeah. But that's how you could start to dispense information. I think even Oust kind of uh, gleaned information in the Carrion Crown in a similar fashion. Yeah, he started asking questions. He's, he's an no, eavesdropper. No, he followed two oh, people. Oh, yeah, he was following people. He was eavesdropping, yeah. But a lot of times what, what the heroes hear just in passing or, or it relies heavily on them also to interact with the, the town's NPCs or the sheriff or... Or even thieves and stuff that maybe in passing, if they wind up incarcerated and they talk with other people that are sharing cells with them, there's a lot of information that can be gleaned that way. But that's a good uh, background or a good sense of doing it in that background, especially being in the um, carrying crown, being in a town and running things where you actually have people. How about doing it in the sense of a dungeon crawl or in a forest or where there's no one there? You find a body that maybe has notes on it or you find a a sketchy map that's been drawn that's been left behind perhaps and that that corpse remains impaled on something. I would or, love to give you guys a map that doesn't even belong to the area. This is oh, like, oh, this mean, is my new home. Yeah. You know, that didn't, that's not what caused this guy to fall into that trap in the beginning, that maybe the map was wrong. You know, and he was following the map. It said to turn left. He turned left. You see his corpse is dead. And you think, well, maybe he just didn't make the trap. No, maybe he was supposed to go right, but the map said go left. So he paid for a faulty map from somebody. Yeah, someone gave him a you bad know, or, map. Or he, if you he paid 10 gold for that map, and you know what? 
He got shasted. Yeah, there's there's footprints on the on the dusty ground, or there's you hear screeching and voices or whatnot, or or little humanoid type noises coming from a direction that you may want to send somebody in that that particular way. Always to kind of lead, corral your players into funneling them into a certain area that you want them. Like I, I think I told Eric after we wrapped up the last session, even though even though I'll lay a large map out, I'll cover up the rooms so you see just the corridor. And you can't tell which way it goes because all the covering is, is black. Well, the background of the map is black too. So you, you may think the corridor may stop, but really I've, I've omitted a lot of those rooms. They don't even, they're not even part of the map anymore. And that's, that kind of helps out where you don't need all these existential rooms to them if you're just trying to get them from point A to point B. And then if that's the case, what's the purpose of the hallway? Does it exist? If there's no purpose of the hallway, then omit the map completely until you need to have that one room and then draw that room out. And that was something I was doing, and that was just mainly because of um, I don't have access to a lot of maps. Luckily, you were able to lend me a few maps to kind of go as draw as we go, but even then I didn't put any any rooms that you guys didn't enter or anything like that because, one, we were just running it as we as we went and that kind of just gave it the theater of the mind where it's like all right well you guys go down this hallway and it was kind of funny because there was a certain area that i ran you guys down and you guys all thought you guys were going to get attacked and it was just me buying time to (laughs) to get my my notes and everything ready it's like all right you guys yeah get my shit together (laughs) and i'm just like all right like yeah and i was just like thinking about like all right like i know i know which room you guys are going to enter next but i i need to kind of like set the the image in my head that way i could give you guys a better description of what this room is when you guys enter it but by the time you guys entered this area because the way the ap had it it was completely you guys would have to like reroute back to a different area and do that i was like no i don't want to do that i'm gonna have you guys find a secret passage go down this certain way and entirely the entire time that you guys went down that way you guys all thought it was a trap you guys all thought you guys were going to get attacked, and you guys are all going approaching cautiously. Well, see, and that, that's good DMing right there. I mean, that shows that you've thought it out. Even if you're thinking of it at that time, you, you have the ability to... I put fear to, in you guys. Yeah, to improvise on the spot. You've got to... And that, that's a great trait of a DM is, as things are going. And I want to check this corpse. It's like, well, fuck, I didn't think anything about Okay, well, the corpse has a note on it, or, or it says something that, that you may be pertinent to the story that you it never really had and it's just your ability to think on your feet and start moving the, the story forward i get asked a lot by kush and eric all the time well what does this guy have or what is what's in the bag and i don't even i think i just put the bag there as as a bag and yeah next thing you know it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a dispensary for some kind of a of a really cool item that has a give and a takeaway which is something else I like to do. I like to give somebody a magic item, but it's only effective to a certain point, but it also takes something away from you too. So it's like, you really got to be in dire straits to use this fucking thing. Otherwise, you're just going to, you know, it's like one of those, it, it those final kill you, things. But yeah, it it's help, like, yeah. come hell or high water, this is the finale. We push this button because either you're going to die or I'm going to die or we're both going to die, but somebody's gonna die it's our hell mary like all right it's our wheel of fortune <laughs> you gotta roll it slow your odds are better but only rolls once well we went much longer than i thought we were gonna go oh i know i'm good at getting us off track here i i'm infamous for this no it's okay i don't mind the digression because i think that that shows that we're thinking and we're moving through we've got a lot of stuff on our minds it shows the listeners that that we are invested in the in what we put out there. We don't want to just put some crap out there. We want to make sure that it has a, a certain quality to it. And that also brings me up to another thing. Um, those earlier episodes, while not in the best audio format that they could be, please try to get through them. Uh, it, it does get better. The audio gets much, much better. It was definitely a learning curve. I mean, like anything else that you do new, I mean, other than what we've been playing it's equipment wise and getting everything dialed in has been definitely something that we've had to learn and research 
and understand a little better. And I know a lot of it has just been trial and error. Understanding dynamic microphones versus omni microphones, making sure we have a, a soft tablecloth, we have that we have shock mounts on the microphone stands. Having headphones. Headphones are yeah. a huge thing. Oh, then, we tried running uh, one camp or one episode without headphones and <laughs> after we had them and you notice it was it went it, it kind of didn't go the way it we expected. Yeah, yeah, it really digressed. But I think anybody that's that's wanting to put on some kind of a podcast, it is a learning curve because a lot of times you don't see how other people are are putting it together. But that being said, I mean, please give the earlier episodes the benefit of the doubt. They are very enjoyable and and fun to listen to. They are. I mean, you get the uh, the personalities are still there. We just a little hard to hear sometimes. Well, that being said, I don't have anything else to add for this fine Sunday morning. Uh, I do. If you want a DM, don't over prep. Just just wing it. <laughs> Well, don't wing it. You got to have some answers. Oh, well, yeah, you got to have some answers. Sometimes over prepping can be just as bad as not even cracking the binding of the uh, book. And if you're playing a DM, it's a lot harder than it looks. With that being said, everybody have a good Sunday. Keep rolling those hard 20s, and we'll check you out next time. See you later, guys. Thank you for joining us once again on Roll the Hard 20 podcast. Remember, you can find us and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review. You can also contact the show directly at rollthehard20podcast at gmail.com or visit the website at rollthehard20podcast.com and check out the galleries we have there. we got a lot of interesting stuff posted. And finally... Join us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rollthehard20podcast. There's a lot of interesting opportunities there for you to join the show, receive bonus content, and swag. Until next session, keep your dice warm and glass full as you roll those hard 20s.